0: Okay, let me ask you this question. Are you looking to feel good about your money? If so, tune in this week as we speak to author, personal finance educator, speaker, media personality, and consumer advocate, Kelly Keen about how to feel good about your money. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the show. Before we get into the conversation with Kelly Keen, I just want to say thank you again. I've been getting more emails thanking me for having the guest on the podcast. And I appreciate them. It it feels good. But I also thank the guest as well for coming on the podcast. And if you want to see more of those types of guests, please do me a favor. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It helps secure these wonderful guests. And you know what? I really appreciate it as well because I get to have these conversations with all these amazing, insightful, and wonderful people. So thank you. All right, today's guest is Kelly Keane. For those of you who don't know Kelly Keane, she has been a predominant figure in the personal finance space in Canada for over 15 years. And it was a real delight to speak with Kelly on the podcast, because Kelly's someone who I looked up to when I first got into the field. When I was looking for resources and information on personal finances, Kelly's name kept coming up. And I really started to enjoy reading her work, reading her books. She's an author of 11 books, which is amazing. And how I met Kelly was quite interesting. In the winter, in our neighborhood, we saw that there was a sign posted for a lost cat. And, you know, we kept our eye open for it. But then all of a sudden we realized that there was a cat in our window well. And we took the cat out and it was quite cold and looked at the sign. Sure enough, it was the cat on the missing poster. So we called the number and let them know that we found their cat. And they came over quickly. And of course, they were very happy to find their cat. And as I was having an exchange with this individual, I looked at her and I'm like, Hey, are you Kelly Keene? And sure enough, it was Kelly Keane. And I'm glad her cat is nice and warm back at home as losing a cat at any time of the year, let alone the winter here in Edmonton, is quite scary. So yes, I'm glad Fraser is back home in the warm house with Kelly and her spouse. As I mentioned, Kelly is a fascinating individual when it comes to personal finances. In this episode, we dive into what made her, or rather, what influenced her to get into the profession of a personal finance expert, especially at a time when female representation was quite low in the finance space, it still is. And Kelly's doing a fantastic job changing that narrative. Her latest book, Rich Girl, Broke Girl, that comes out December of 2021, aims at reducing the gap between female and male representation in this industry we call personal finances. Kelly, I'm a big fan of your work and all that you're doing. Thanks for joining me and hope everyone enjoys this conversation with Kelly Keen. Welcome back to the Most Hated F Word podcast, Today, I am pleased to have my neighbor, who I didn't know was my neighbor until last year, Kelly Keene. Who is Kelly? Well, her middle name is Money, and her mission is to make Canadians feel good about it. A veteran in the industry, she spent 15 years as a personal financial educator and over a decade as a financial professional. She's learned that everyone has money problems. That's true for millionaires, as it's for people who spend years trying to pay off their student debt. She's an award-winning, best-selling author of over 10 books, ranging from Personal Finance, The Psychology of Money, Behavioral Economics, Woman and Finance to Avoiding Identity, Theft and Fraud. She's known for what's on the hearts and minds of Canadians when it comes to taking care of money. You can find her newest book, Talk Money to Me, in the special COVID edition that was released in February 2021, I believe. And she also has a new book coming out in December that we'll talk to you. And finally, Kelly has been an authority in Canada. She's appeared on CTV, The Maryland Dennis Show, as well as a regular guest on Global CBC and CTV National. Kelly, welcome to the show.
1: So great to be with you, Sean. Yeah, next time we're totally doing this on the patio over a glass of wine or a cold beer or something.
0: I know. We were just saying that we could have done that today and, uh, you know, next one. Next one. Yeah, Kelly, I have been following you for, I would say, 10 years online. I've seen the impact you've been having. And we won't get into how <laughs> we randomly met, which was interesting. But I have always found it impressive that you've had such a large impact in our industry here in Canada in the personal finance space. And I'm sure your books are still beyond Canada. I want to go back to... Your story. On the podcast, we talk a lot about stories because I feel like stories are a good way that people can learn about themselves and others and their message. But let's go way back to when you decided to get into this profession. And the intent of me asking this question is because if we look right now, and I was doing some research before the call, the gender gap in financial services is still large. And what I mean by that is just females' representation in our industry. And there's a a survey, or sorry, a research article I found on the World Economic Forum of Gender Gaps. And they have talked how our industry is lacking females and also lacking the skill set that females bring. And they just had some stats that really spoke to me that only 15% of executives in the financial services are females and female talent is a quote, female talent remains one of the most underutilized resources in the financial industry. So let's go back to your decision as a female. I don't know exactly when you started the industry, but where were you and what part of your life story got you to step into this world that you've had such a positive impact on?
1: Loaded question, Sean. I will try to, to uh, be as abridged as possible. And tip of the hat to you. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. You've had some amazing guests on, some of the most brilliant minds in Canada and around the globe. So, congrats to you. You really had a lot of longevity, too. So, I think it's
0: awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for some referrals, too, on the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, some of my my favorite, favorite industry friends, for sure. So again, I'll try to be as brief as possible, but maybe we'll start with my story and how it possibly led to being in the financial industry. Mm. So I was raised by a single mom. My mom and dad split when I was around eight years old. So that meant her looking after myself and my two older brothers all on her own, no support at all for my dad. And she found herself in a situation with no education, no experience, because she had helped him with his business, you know, and 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 what he was doing. And actually, her first job at, for those of you that don't know where we are, where I'm generally stationed in Toronto, but came home, came to my principal residence in during the pandemic in Edmonton, and a couple of blocks away <laughs> is Uncle Albert's Pancake House, yeah. where my mom got her, you know. Not her first job. She had jobs before she met my dad, but her first job as a waitress and a dishwasher looking after three kids because she could start work at four or five in the morning and then she could be home for us to get home after school. So that was really important to her. And as you can imagine, money was scarce. It was non-existent. We always had food on the table, but it didn't mean that she did. So that's not really um, an unusual story. What was really unusual for me, Sean, growing up was I had super wealthy uncles. So I had this really incredibly messed up childhood where, you know, I had a great, abundant, happy childhood. But I knew that there wasn't money there. Would hear my mom crying about it often. And it was a great stress. Yet the antithesis experience was when I was around my wealthy uncles. They stood differently. They spoke differently. They talked about investing and buying apartment buildings. And I was like, I want that lifestyle, not the lifestyle (laughs) that I live in. And there's a couple of things that got me accidentally into the financial industry. But let me just finish on this trail for a moment. You know, it led me to get into the financial industry And at a very young age, and I was really lucky of my trajectory and how I got in, but at 21, I had 24, 28 branches with one of uh, Canada's largest, uh, most international banks. I was what was called an investment manager. And I had very wealthy clients that I sat across from, and I wanted to look wealthy. And I had that poor kid syndrome, right? Like, I didn't want to look poor. And then I chose an industry where you can't look poor mm-hmm. because no one's going to work with you. So I did everything wrong. Bought a luxury sports car when I was 21, racked up credit cards, didn't go bankrupt or anything. But let me tell you, I learned my lesson in my mid 20s and really had to pay off a lot of debt, fix my credit, all that type of stuff. Atoned in my 30s and now my 40s. I think I have it together. We'll see. You know, you don't write 11 books on money because you've got it all <laughs> together. But it's been quite a journey, so I accidentally got into the financial industry, and at any point you can stop me, I was in a very severe car accident when I was eight years old, and I knew at the age of 18 I was going to receive this astronomical amount of money, it was going to be $10,000, in my world, I could barely count that high. And so once the settlement happened and it went to the public trustee when I was about 12 years old, I started studying investments. Like, what's a stock and what's a bond? And I'd call the public trustee up and I'd be like, what do you have my money in? You know, there's still years (laughs) for it to grow. And he'd be like, stop phoning me. Don't call me until you're 18. So you would think that I was like super prudent with my money. And I actually just wrote an article for Tangerine Bank on this, how you know, I invested in an RSP when I was eighteen. I did everything, quote unquote, right. And then I decided to buy a condo, which I also couldn't afford when I was eighteen, and cashed in my RSP and all that type of stuff. So never intended on getting into the financial industry, stayed in it at the bank and and as a, I had my own firm for six years as well. And then, Sean, you know, I shouldn't say one day. I mean I, I I would get so frustrated with my clients. And you know, you're in the industry. I'd have the quintessential client that was worth $20 million, you know, grew up in the depression and couldn't spend 1 cent mm. on himself. And I was just like, that's not wealth. Then the antithesis were the clients that were making a million dollars a year net in their pocket and they're millions of dollars in debt. They've got you know, not one, not two, but three Mercedes sports cars and several expensive divorces and all that type of stuff. So I thought it's not about making more in your investments. It's not about earning more. It's somewhere in between. That's the balance of people feeling prosperous. So sold my firm, hung my hat out as a personal finance educator. So that's what I've been doing the last uh, 15, 16 years. And it's been an incredible
0: ride. Wow. Thank you. I felt your energy through my screen and so many interesting components to that story. And I first want to say your mother sounded like quite an independent, strong woman. And, you know, you taking on a career like you did. I think she probably role modeled well for you because just throughout your story, even yourself, you could see the self-awareness you had to, I bought the wrong car, did these wrong decisions. And I think that's so good about these stories is because sometimes people in the financial world is... They've never made a mistake, but the, the reality is we are humans and we do so. You say the word balance. As you climb your own journey of life in the personal finance space and life, balance is a hard word to properly define, not the dictionary. What is balance to you?
1: Yeah, balance is a tough one, and I really struggle, struggle with that. Now, I don't have kids, mm-hmm. and I, my husband and I chose not to have kids, so I probably have one of the most unbalanced lives out there. I read a great book years ago called The Happiness Hypothesis, and it mm. just really touched me. Uh, you too?
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, fabulous book. And, and one of the salient points of that book was, you know, do you have a job? Do you have a career? Or do you have a mission? Mm. And I was like, yeah. For a long time, I. That's why I left the financial industry because I just didn't feel. I mean, you're you're doing revolutionary stuff now. This wasn't really as talked about 16 years ago, and. I'll go back to my story a little bit. If Mm -hmm. you go to my website, it tells you my mission, for Canadians to feel good about money. So that's my why. If you've read Simon Sinek's why, you know, start with why, that's my why. But over the years, people have asked, well, why is that your why? And I was like, okay, you need a why behind your why. So the why Mm -hmm. behind my why, and I know your viewers and listeners will be very familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? An American psychologist who... Basically surmised that when you're at the bottom of this pyramid, and most people are at the bottom, uh, you're looking after your bills and a roof over your head and, and, and feeding your kids and trying to save for their education, all that type of stuff. Probably not even trying to save for their education at the bottom. You're just surviving at the bottom. Maybe the next tier, you're thinking about that. And at the very top is self-actualization. But when you're at the bottom, you do not make good choices, I don't think. You don't make the best choices possible you're not the best employee or best employer you could be you're not the best spouse you could be or really citizen of this country a lot of people make choices to steal and to get into drugs and and in the prison system that they wouldn't do if they had more money right hmm. so my mission the why behind my why is to move people up the pyramid because another really salient point to my story sean And the only reason I think I'm doing what I'm doing that I didn't get looped in the poverty loop, because although my mom did so much right, and yes, she's an amazing influence and we're still super tight and taught me about abundance and a lot of wonderful lessons that I share in my books. But there was something happened when I was 14 that changed everything in our life. And one of my wealthy uncles that my mom worked for every evening and weekend and you know when she wasn't waitressing and being a dishwasher she was working for his company really for no pay and finally one day he said you know what i'm going to buy you a house free and clear it wasn't a big thing for for him and even the housing market in Edmonton was wasn't mm-hmm. doing that that well but it meant that we were catapulted up that pyramid like all of a sudden i could start to walk a little taller i could start to feel a little bit more confident at 14, because I didn't hear my mom crying, wondering how she's going to put food on the table. So, back to your question about balance, I have very little of it in my life because I'm on a mission, and and I've made it conscious that I'm on a mission. That it's not a job, it's not a nine to five, it's not a career. I live and breathe. If I take a day off, it's only to fuel what I'm doing when I'm working. It really is uh, 24-7. Thank goodness my husband is uh, on board. And it's only actually, quite honestly, because of him that I've ever even written a book. Never something I wanted to do as long as I lived. So another important part to your prosperity, hang around people that are going to lift you up and help you see what you can't see, because that's probably... More important than where you invest and how you invest is Mm -hmm. is the people you surround yourself with.
0: Mm. Wow. I feel that mission coming out of here. (laughs) You are on a mission and what an impact you're having. And perhaps there's a a new (laughs) book coming out on the system that you just described with your mom and uncle is like, when we're in that bottom ring, we have that scarcity mindset and it's hard to uplift ourselves out. The system that we live in makes it very difficult and look at that example of giving some housing, taking care of what it can do to people. So maybe that's uh, some overall financial system work that needs to be done. But nonetheless, I appreciate that story. I want to go into your mission on the books that you've wrote. 11 books is just phenomenal. I know we, we spoke briefly one time. You said you don't consider yourself a writer, but 11 books later, <laughs> I guess that's an author. Maybe I want to go with latest two books. I don't know if you have a preference. I, I want to ask a question on both, but do you have a preference which one we start at? No. No. Okay, let's go to Rich Girl, Broke Girl. Okay. Why this book right now in 2021?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it is a follow up from Talk Money to me. Kind of same approach where it's uh, character driven. You get to see the mishaps of these characters, mistakes they made, the lessons, and then the happy ending. And why for women? I mean, that's my original passion. That's mm-hmm. the first two books I wrote were specifically for women. And I'm hoping this is the last book I'm going to write. <laughs> we'll see. But bring it back full circle to women. Because as you said, underrepresented in the industry, probably underrepresented in every industry on mm-hmm. boards. But here's my biggest disappointment is that still today, even millennial women, even breadwinners, are not stepping up to the table to say they want to handle finances. It infuriates me. And the excuses are, you know, I don't have enough time. I'm just not that good at math. It's really not for me. And it's just like, you know, Sean, when you sit across the table and talk about someone's finances, I don't think there's anything more intimate. I don't even know when you get naked with your doctor, if it's as intimate as talking about finance and talking about maybe shames and embarrassments and missteps or talking about what you don't even know about. It's like, you know, it's okay to not know about your health. It's okay to come into a doctor's office and be vulnerable, but there's still a ginormous taboo when it comes mm-hmm. to talking about money or a lack thereof, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to talk about RSPs and TFSAs, um, but there's still a lot of shame and, and embarrassment about not knowing what you should know. Mm-hmm. And women cannot truly be free until they're financially free, and that might not be ever being a breadwinner. You might always be supported by a spouse but there's still no excuse to not know where things lie. Like you, I've been on the other side of listening to women that got divorced and got a fraction of what they should have got. And actually in fact I don't have the stats in front of me but most women regardless of the financial situation end up far worse than than her male counterpart or You know, the countless women I talked to, especially in Alberta a couple of years ago when things were phenomenally growing Mm. and the province was the envy of, of the country, which it's not now, how many women were there to support their husbands but didn't understand what they were investing and what they were doing, and they lost everything in a Mm -hmm. scam, in a bad land deal, in a business that went wrong. You know, maybe something so innocent as the accountant said, you know what? Your spouse is doing really well. Let's make you a shareholder in the corporation. And then, you know, the husband mismanaged funds and things of that sort. Now CRA is coming after her and garnishing her wages because she had no understanding of the implications of being a shareholder. So it's not that I want women to be financial geniuses and know all the nuances of the industry, which no one can. But to really step up to the table, I guess I'll end on this note. During the pandemic, Sean, I'm sure there was something you and your family tried. Mm -hmm. What was it? What was new that you tried that you had never done before? Camping. Camping. Were you good at it at first? No. No. Did you forget stuff?
0: All the time.
1: (laughs) Did you Google stuff? Did you look up stuff? We did. Right? Right. Like you went and did these things. And, you know, my husband and I cooked a lot and I was really like on eggs benedict and I lucked out the first three times. My holiday sauce was perfect. My poach- I never poached an egg. Perfect. By the fourth time, everything was ruined. My eggs were ruined. My <laughs> holiday sauce curdled. Did I stop cooking? Did I tell myself I was, you know, incapable of doing it? I came with the, you know, some curiosity and some, this is like a fun thing to do. But when it comes to our money, this is an essential thing to do. So I just really wanted to focus on women for this book to try to convince them that it's not as hard as you think, that you just need a healthy dose of curiosity and that like oxygen, please don't allow someone else to control the lever on your oxygen tank because there's no one you should trust 100%. With something that's so essential to your life. And money and oxygen are are right up there.
0: Mm, wow. I really like that analogy with oxygen. And, you know, just being in this industry, I, I'm i so glad you're doing the work you're doing and, and giving women a voice. Because it seems like the system of money is always the male dominated. And I've read some research paper that shows just like how it evolved. It's like, in the fifties, women took care of the home. They were working, but that was like the societal system was involved. But as they tracked women now working, the quote from one paper I'm, I'm coming to my head. It said the women now are expected to earn the bacon, bring home the bacon, and cook the bacon and clean the bacon. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, your work is giving giving people a voice, which is, is much needed. And I think males need to listen to your voice as well to to realize that the pendulum needs to really swing the other way to just go back to, you know, equal. So I really think that that book is going to be a good one for for females and males alike to to read it and just be aware of what's happening. Because for a male, if, if we understand with a compassionate lens, I think for the most part, we might think, whoa, this is silly. You might link this back to talk money to me, but I want to talk to you about money problems. I've seen you write about money problems, the word money problem, and your bio talks about money problem what is a money problem? I know intuitively we'd know, but based on your experience, what are money problems and how can we recognize ourselves? Maybe not looking at our spouse, but ourselves. How do we recognize our own money problems?
1: That's a super great question. I don't know if anyone's even dug into that. And unfortunately, I don't go through it in my bio, but I think it's really important to delineate between a money problem and a lack of money problem, because Mm -hmm. those are two very, very different things. So a money problem Maybe do you go into a TFSA or an RSP? Do you pay down the mortgage? You know, are you being as efficient tax-wise as you can? Are you looking after all your credit? Should you hire a a fee-only financial planner or a financial advisor? That's a money problem. A lack of money problem comes with a whole bunch of other different issues. And it comes with, again, I think a lot more emotional baggage of the shame and the embarrassment. You know, like there was a time in the 1950s before you and I were born, Sean, where people used to whisper the word cancer. Right. It was Mm. shameful. It was horrible. Today, we run the cure. We have Facebook support groups. We would never if it were. You know, maybe not so much mental health, but that's coming, you know, more into light and more acceptability. But we would never suffer through cancer or some horrific, you know, health issue. No one would make it your fault and make it your shame and embarrassment. Yet, during the pandemic, you know, people lost their jobs at no fault of their own. Businesses folded. Life savings were gone. And it still didn't give people permission to really talk about that lack of money problem. And how do you get out of it? And and the problem is if you're not talking about it, there's no way to get out of it. And then the messy middle that affects everyone is the irrationality. And mm-hmm. and I know you had my good friend David Lewis on your mm-hmm. show talking about all these different um, ways that irrationality can trip us up, regardless if we have money or a lack of money. So it's just realizing that we have these biases and 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 how can we work around them. Again, I, I mentioned at the beginning, I have my poor kid syndrome. That's never going to go away. Mm. So I have to mitigate it. I have to automate my savings. I have to make sure that I don't have a lot of money left in my bank account at the end of the month. I, I always have to do things to trick myself because that's never going to go away. I've certainly made peace with it, but I, I, I love spending. I'm impulsive. So it's really knowing yourself as well. And then knowing your partner, I have a very, very frugal partner. So maybe that is something where I do have some balance in my life as I try to get him to spend and tries to get me to take time out. So
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> choose your spouse carefully too. <laughs>
0: Wow. Yeah. It's such good self-awareness for yourself. And I, I like how you, you really are clear that, Hey, you, you have these tendencies and biases to your words, spend, but you set up automations and strategies to, to work with it and not avoid it or neglect it or, or live in shame that I spend much of it, it is what it is. I just have to do this. So yeah. I think that's really, really interesting. And for a lot of us, we think like, Oh no, I shouldn't be spending like this. You're just like, Hey, that's the way I am. I just now automate or just my savings and I combat that. Yeah. Absolutely. So my last question, I, I ask most people this question, and perhaps round two, we can sit on my front porch and have a glass of wine or beer. But let's say you're, you're 95 years old and you're not on a front porch in, Ed, well, maybe in Edmonton, but you could be anywhere in the world that is a peaceful place. You're at the end of life and you're sitting on this front porch and you're looking out at the mountain, the Edmonton street, wherever you are, but it has to be peaceful. And you're, you're tasked yourself with writing the letter to whomever wants to read it on what you've learned to have a healthy relationship with money. What would be the theme of that letter?
1: Wow, that's a really great question. I probably wouldn't be anywhere peaceful for long. (laughs) because I'll I'll, I'll be shouting something off of some mountaintop on some topic. If it's not money, I'm hoping to go into neuroscience in in my later 50s. So what would it be that I want people to know about money? I think it's really, you know, knowing yourself and knowing that money or a lack of money is the energy of where you are at the time and that you can change it, that you can Mm. absolutely change it and that it's an inner game. It's all about your worth. And, you know, do you deserve to be here? Yes, you do. And that was questions that I struggled in my 20s. I didn't feel I deserved to be. Then I didn't feel that I deserved to be places because that was that poor kid syndrome again. Stay small, right? Mm -hmm. Stay small. So I want people to be as big as mountaintops, but that takes work. I guess here's where it is. Here's the last analogy I'll leave you with that I'd want people to know about money. Figure out what kind of financial house you want to be and be really, really clear about it. Do you want a simple home? Just a simple home. You know, like you want to just work a nine to five and that's okay. And you want to be there for kids and you don't really need to amass a lot. That's great. Do you want something a little bit bigger, like an apartment building? Or do you want like what I want? An office tower, a skyscraper when it comes to finances. Once you determine what it is, now, what you have to figure out is how deep that foundation is going to be. And mm. don't cheat yourself. This is why lottery winners or people that get a lot, you know, large inheritance, they lose it all because they got a skyscraper on the foundation of a teeny tiny little house. Mm-hmm. So be really honest of what kind of financial structure you want and go after it. But realize the bigger you go, the bigger that foundation needs to be dug. So as you create more of that energy, more of your skeletons and feelings and uncomfortableness is going to come up and you're going to have to deal with that or your structure is going to fall down. So either stay with the house and be cool with that or the apartment building or do, you know, aim like I do high, but realize you're going to have to dig really deep too.
0: Wow. Awesome. That is fantastic to end at. I, I think that foundation is so important. So thank you for sharing All of your insights, Kelly, I feel like we blinked and our time went over. We could talk for a day straight. Where can people find you? When is Rich Girl, Broke Girl coming out? And anything you want to tell the audience?
1: I appreciate that. Sean, it's been such a pleasure. Again, you have had such an incredible lineup of guests. It is just truly, truly, truly my honor to be uh, on your podcast. You can find me at kellykeen.com. does it matter which way you spell it. Plunk it into Google, it'll come up on Twitter, Kelly Keen on Instagram, Kelly Keen Biz. Love to hear from you. And rich girl, broke girl. I'm going to have to say that really slowly and denunciate That uh, Amazon tells me that it should be out December 14th, but I think it'll be out a little bit earlier.
0: Okay. Well, we'll put a link to everything in the show notes, and thank you so much for your time. I really uh-huh. appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Sean. Keep up your great work.
0: We'll do. Thanks, Kelly. You take care. Thank you for tuning in this week. I really encourage everyone to head over to Kelly's website and get a copy of her book, one of her 11 books, or all of her 11 books. Check them out, see which one speaks to you, and enjoy Kelly's writing. Until next week, have yourself a wonderful week.